0: Psalm 18 is the third longest psalm after 119 and 78. So I had to make an executive decision this week that either we could read the psalm together as a church or I could preach. (laughs) So I decided to preach. But I I will walk through the text with us as we go through um, our our sections this morning. This morning we, we sang about... The art of celebration or the art of praise and this morning in this text we are going to see the reason why we should praise why we should be celebrating and that's because we serve a God who has saved us and and I think as I've studied this text this week one of the best ways I found to break this text down and the way we're gonna look at it this morning is, is by breaking it apart into four pieces First is David's praise. You're going to see that in verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to see how God saved David. David is praising God because God saved him. So verses 4 through 19 is going to be how God saved David. And then the third section will be verses 20 through 48. And we will see why God saved David. And then in the last couple of verses, verses 49 and 50, we're going to see David's prophecy of salvation for all of us and the ability for us to be praising him thousands of years later because of what he's doing in David's life. So we're going to see David's praise for his salvation. We're going to see how God saved him, why God saved him. And then that's going to lead to David's prophecy for us. So like I said, this is the third longest psalm. But this psalm is also a little bit unique because if you have your Bibles and you want to take a quick second, if you're good at Bible drill, flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 22, and what you're going to notice is the exact same words. This psalm, Psalm 2 Samuel um, 22 is the exact same verses, and because of that, we know exactly the historical context of this psalm. You know how sometimes I say we're kind of having to guess based off of little clues and hints? This one we don't have to guess because it's literally lifted. Now, they didn't cite their sources here, so I hope nobody cancels them for plagiarizing, but... But David's song of praise for being delivered from his enemies, being delivered from Saul, you find that in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And now here we see all of that text with just a little bit added to it to make up our psalm this morning in Psalm 18. So let's look at David's opening praise. And this is one of the things that has been added. It's not in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Starting in verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now this, this part was added because this is David now reflecting upon what happened in 2 Samuel 22. Right? This, this, is, this is a person remembering what God has done. And because of that, this is his response. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, verse 2, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. My first question for you this morning is, is this how you respond to God rescuing you? To each and every one of us, we're dead in our trespasses and our sin. We We were going straight to hell on the express train. And yet God saved us. Does that lead you to a response of praise and celebration? Does that lead you to a place of deep inner joy? It did for David. And it led him to pinning these words. I love you, O Lord. Now the second thing I want you to notice here in in David's response is how personal it is. And I know this is going to bother some of you because you like to think of this God who is utterly other, which he is, but you make the mistake of almost making him impersonal because he is so other from us. And so there's this reverence, and there's these hushed tones, and we we can't say or do certain things. And yet I want you to notice the focus that David has in these verses on the personal relationship he has with God. I love you, God. I love you. And then David describes God in eight different ways in the following couple of verses. This is in no other psalm will you find this many descriptions of God. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know what's interesting about all of those? My. Not the stronghold, not the refuge, not the rock, my rock. David is stressing to us the personal relationship that he has with God. The personal relationship that this morning God wants to have with you. So that you can call out and you can cry out and say, He is my God, He is my refuge. I think this is one of the reasons why so many Christians have struggled praising They struggle having joy because they realize, yeah, I have a relationship with a God. But they don't see him as my God. They can't have an informal conversation with my God and say things like, I love you. One of the things that the disciples were amazed at about Jesus, because he referred to him as father. That there was an intimacy there. And that same intimacy is what you are being invited into this morning. And when you see that, when you know that, when you know that he is my God, my refuge, my strength, my stronghold. Well, then it's going to lead you to praise. It, it just has to. But when he's this, this object of study, this, this other being that I can learn about, well, th- that's going to lead you to a lot less joy. A lot more academic, you know, heady language that sounds all fancy. But it doesn't lead you into that deeper personal relationship that David is praising God for in these first few verses this morning. Is he your God this morning? Not just God. He is that. Regardless of you, he's always going to be the God. He's always going to be the refuge. The question this morning is, is he going to be your refuge? Is he going to be your strength? Is he going to be your stronghold? David wants us to see that he has a personal relationship with God. David's goal is that we would love him too. That we would have that same kind of relationship with him. David can say all of that because God saved him. God was his salvation. So I want to look in the next section, verses 4 through 19, and just look exactly how God saved him. In verse 4, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David is in this spot. In verse 6, In my distress I call upon the Lord. To my God I cried, for help from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Da- David is, is saying that, that sin has basically got me trapped. I- I'm just I'm, I'm bound up in every side and I can't do what I want to do. I can't do what is right. Sound familiar? Every one of us before knowing Christ are dead in our trespasses and our sin. We are wrapped in the same way that Jesus was wound and, and bound at his death. We, we are bound that way. Our hearts are bound. Our, our minds are bound. Our wills are bound. And David is saying, look, this, this is where I was. This is what was happening to me. Now, we, we know that David is also speaking somewhat literally because he's been on the run. He, he's been having to duck and cover and hide in caves and do whatever he can do to survive. He even had to go into the temple and take the bread that was only supposed to be offered up to God just to be able to feed his men and survive. And David is saying, look, this this is what has been around me. This is what has encompassed me. So we see David's distress. We think about the wild animals in his youth as he was being a shepherd. You think about Goliath as he goes to take his brother's lunch. Right, David has seen his fair share of adversities and hardships, and yet he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him. David is is using, in this next section, in verses 7 through 9, he, he describes God coming in power to his rescue. In verses 7 through 19, Then the earth reeled and rocked, in verse 7. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness... Before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. When the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils." He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David is describing God's power To rescue him. Now, I want you to notice the dramatic way that David describes his rescue by God. He's using figurative language. Because David is trying to describe the indescribable. And and so many times in scripture, and this gets a lot of people tripped up this morning, this is a little side note, but when when human beings are trying to describe the indescribable, this is the language that they use figurative language it's not meant to be literal here but they're trying to describe something that their little minds can't fully comprehend and so these are the best ways in which they can describe it Spurgeon wrote of this account that David had the glorious manifestations of God in Egypt at Sinai and on different occasions from Joshua and the judges in mind as he's writing this account David David's again lifting language from someone else and borrowing that because he has no other way of describing God's goodness and God's rescue for him. So that's how God saved him. Dramatically, powerfully, undeniably. David couldn't walk around and go, I did it. (laughs) Look at me, man, I planned well. I got the right mighty men behind me. I didn't know. David realizes that the only way that I was saved was because of the hand of God. That he was my support. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Oh, we need to hear that this morning. He rescued David because he delighted in David. This morning, some of you struggle with that. I I know because I sit in, in a room counseling people all day long. And one of the things they struggle with most is that God delights in them. And they say, yeah, but I'm a screw up. So was David. So was David. And yet God chose him. Therefore, he delighted in him. End of story. Period. That's it. This morning, if you are a believer, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? He delights in you. He delights in you. So why did God save him? Verses 20 through 29. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and, I, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statues I did not... Put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Now, David, we we have to remember, if we're going to understand this section of Scripture properly, that David is part of a much larger drama that God is doing. And this is one of those times in the Psalms where where David is not just talking about himself, but he's talking about one of his heirs, right? And and that's Jesus. Because only Jesus did this perfectly. And and while David was a man after God's own heart, right, you, you see throughout the book of 1 Kings, that David also sinned, right? So let is take one example. 1 Kings fifteen five recorded David's greatest, possibly greatest sin. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything, that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, <laughs> right? It's like this little footnote there. Well, what was that little event? Well, I don't have time to describe it all, but let me break it down to you in a simple sentence. He broke six out of the ten commandments. Just like that. In one event. Six out of ten. That's not good. That's failing, right? David wasn't a perfect man. But David in this section, is is acting like a prophet and and describing one who would be perfect. And, And while David aspired to all of these things, he can't be describing himself here fully. Because he wasn't absolutely innocent. But there was one who was absolutely innocent, and that was Christ. Jesus was delivered from death. David was not. Jesus was because of his sinless life. Jesus could say that the Lord dealt with him according to his righteousness. He's the one person in the world that could say that. But David introduces a concept here that is a bit terrifying if we're honest with ourselves. There's a a theme here of reciprocity, right, that that David is sharing in this, this passage, He shows us this principle of how God deals with people. And to sum it up, he basically responds to us in kind. So however we respond to him, that's how he responds to us. So for the righteous, righteous. Right? And with the crooked, verse 26, you make yourself seem torturous. Right? There there was a lot of schemers in the Old Testament there were a lot of people that, that thumbed their nose, nose up at God. Right? Some of them found themselves being eaten by dogs. God deals with the righteous with righteousness. He deals with the scheming with schemes. You said, why, why would that terrify us, Dale? <laughs> well... I don't know if you remember a few Psalms ago, there's no one righteous. No, not one. No one has done good. No one. So this should be a bit terrifying for us if we're honest. But thankfully, David didn't leave us with this terrifying thought. In verse 27, for you save a humble people. You save a humble people. You see, when we humble ourselves, our hearts are wrapped no longer in the the entanglements of death and Sheol, but they're wrapped in Christ's righteousness. For those who are humble, for those who are not proud. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this is how I know that God delights in you, Christian, this morning. It's because you've been wrapped in something other than yourself. And and so when Christ looks looks at you, He sees Christ. You you pass the smell test because the the death that you were wrapped in is now wrapped in Christ's righteousness. And that's all he sees is Christ's righteousness in you. Verses 30 through 45 describe how, well, actually longer than that, how God strengthened him Look at verse 30, and this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. At your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from the strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. David is describing how God has equipped him in this section of Scripture. We see in 33 through 36 what, what God's boot camp looked like in David's life. We see that God... Gave David speed and agility, that he gave David strength in verse 34. Verse 35, we we see that God provided him with armor and God cleared the way of his feet. And like David, we as believers are also given spiritual weapons to do battle from our Lord and Savior. Ephesians six, twelve through eighteen says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. God put David through a series of events in his life to train him, to, to build him up, right? When you think about soldiers who were <clears throat> going into uh, the, the military, do, do they take somebody who signs up on Friday, throw them on a plane, and put them on the front line on Saturday? No. Why not? Well, one, they're either going to kill themselves or some of their friends. So what do they do? They, they train them. They, they send them off and they say, okay, you need to learn this skill. Now you need to learn this skill. Now you need to learn this skill. You need to understand how we operate as a military, right? Right? We we don't want friendly fire here. That's not cool. Shoot the enemy, not us. Right? So, so they put them through their paces. And, and they're constantly pushing them and trying them and strengthening them and growing them. And then they send them to the front lines. It's the same way with God. You see, David's boot camp started as a shepherd. Some of you might be here this morning and you've given your life to Christ and you're waiting for something spectacular to happen to you, but you're just a shepherd watching some sheep. And you're going, come on, God, when's the exciting stuff going to happen? When are you going to put me in charge? When am I going to become a leader? When am I I really going to have some influence and matter? And God's answer, just like with David, is when you're ready. But that's a process. And that takes time. And you've got you've to work your way so that God can grow your character. We, we are seeing in the American church, especially right now, a, a crisis of elevating men and women to positions of influence without equal character. That's what we're seeing right now. They, they didn't spend the time doing the boot camp. They didn't spend the time doing the training. They just want to run out there and they just want to start preaching to, to the masses and build a following and get a group without doing the work. And it's not about works. Don't mishear me, but the works that God is putting us through is, should be building character. And then when, when that heavy burden of the crown is placed on your head like it was with David, you're ready for it. Now even with David, we see he wasn't perfect with that. But he was more prepared than most of the other kings you read about in the Old Testament. You want to see a lot of how not to do it, man. Read through the book of Kings. There's, there's a lot of how not to's in there. And yet, David, because he allowed God to put him through this process, taking him from shepherding to showing faith and killing Goliath, to serving Saul, to being on the run from Saul, to grow him character and in his strength and David is is listing out and he's saying look these are all the ways God has equipped me for this day this morning are you wearing the armor of God that I just read about in Ephesians are you equipped to run the race that God has called you to run because if you're out there trying to run it by yourself without all of this equipment you're in trouble and you can, you can drag a shield behind you and it ain't going to do you any good if you don't know how to pick it up and put it in front of you. It's not just knowing, yeah, I got all this stuff, but how do I use it? A- am, I, am I sharing the gospel so that in verse 15, that I have shoes for my feet so that I don't stumble? Are you... Are your vital organs protected by the righteousness of Jesus? It's His righteousness protecting us. Do you have the agility from the gospel of peace? Do you carry the shield of faith each day? Or does your shield look more like anxiety, worry, fear instead of faith? See, when we don't have that shield up, it's easy for the enemy to get those flaming darts through. But when we got that shield of faith up, he can fire all he wants. But they don't hit us, they don't hurt us. We also see in this section David's victory. And what's interesting in this section is who God is delivering him from. Verse 43. You delivered me from the strife with the people. Now, the people are not his enemies. The people he's referring to are Israel. His people, the strife of his people. That's the one that he is describing here. Not some foreigners. But most of David's problems came from within. Some of you have gone to church. Maybe another church. And you're like, man, I just I can't believe this happened to me within the church. Why? Why? Israel was God's chosen people. And David's saying, you deliver me from them. Churches are made up of people. People are made up. Of sinners, right? And, and you get people who, again, they, they, they try to rush to a position of authority without going through a time of training and testing and growing. And so they get into that position of authority and then they just hurt people, they offend people, they run them into the ground. Sometimes uh, completely unaware because they never did the character training. They never learned empathy. They never learned to put themselves into somebody else's shoes. They just rush right to leadership, offending people as they go. The good news this morning is God can deliver you like he delivered David from that. But he's also being prophetic here, isn't he? Who did Jesus have the most problem with? I mean, if it was up to Rome, he'd he'd still be alive. David's being prophetic about his offspring that would one day have the ultimate strife with his people. Jesus' problems. Some of you are sitting here going, man, I got so many problems. I want you to think about this. Jesus had problems with his people from the moment he was born. They were trying to kill him then till the time he died. David's description of his reign in this section, though, also is foreshadowing of Jesus' ultimate reign in the new earth. Verse 46, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me Vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you. Here we, we know this wasn't fully fulfilled in David's time, but it will be fully fulfilled in Jesus' time. And, and I want you to look at verses 49 through 50 as David's final prophecy for us that leads him to praise. For this I will praise you, O Lord among the nations, and sing to your name great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. Here, David is referring to Jesus as his offspring forever. Christ. Victory will one day be complete. David's was partial and for a period of time, but Jesus's will be complete for all of time. And on that day, we will hear the voice of God from heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelations eleven fifteen. 15. Does that bring you joy this morning? Does that put everything you're going through, everything that's happening in the world into context this morning and lead you to joy? It should. It should. Does it lead you to sing and shout like David does in verse 1 and in verse 49? Because it should. If it doesn't, I want to suggest this morning that one of two things is wrong. One, he's, He's not your refuge. He's not your strength. And this morning, it is my hope and prayer, and please come and see me and talk to me afterwards if you are unsure. So that I can help you, guide you. I can't do it for you, but I can guide you in helping you to put your faith and trust in Him. By humbling yourself, right? God lifts up the humble. Humbling yourself and admitting, I need help. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. And trusting in Him. And letting His righteousness wrap your dead heart and give it new life. Second, Second, the reason why you might not be having joy this morning is because you've taken that first step, but He is just that. He is just the refuge. He is just the Lord. He's not your Lord. He's not your strength. You you can't sit here and honestly, in the chair this morning, go, He is my refuge. He is where I run. I know He is a refuge. But he's not my refuge. And I want to challenge you this morning. If that's you, confess and repent. Confess. God, I I I don't, I am my own functional savior. I am my own functional refuge. I am not putting my faith and trust in you. I'm putting it in something else. And when things get tough, I run to that. whatever that is, confess that, repent of that, turn from that to your Lord and Savior who wants to save you and wants to be your refuge, your strength, your salvation, personally. Because I promise when you do, you will begin to realize just how much He delights in you. And man, that's going to bring you so much joy to face the uncertain times in the uncertain world that we live in, but like all believers have lived in, let's be honest, and have the same kind of joy that they had. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for our salvation. Thank you for saving us. God, we we praise you for that this morning. And Father, if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would realize that they were here on this day to hear this message, to draw their hearts to you, because you are relentless, God. And Father, I pray today they would put their faith and trust in you rather than themselves. They would humble themselves this morning and Father I also pray for those who have done that in the past but over time you have become less of their personal refuge and their personal strength and they've begun to rely upon themselves again God I pray that they would confess and repent of that and humble themselves and turn back to you so that their joy may be restored and renewed. And Father, that they would be reminded that because of your Son, Jesus Christ, you delight in them. And Lord, that would bring them a level of certainty in uncertain times that would make them like a city on a hill in their workplaces, at their schools, in their families. God, and people would want to have what they have. And God, that would give opportunity for sharing the gospel with even more people. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.